Good morning. The Bible reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 18. It should come up on the screen behind me, yeah. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for those prayers. And as Chris was ending, he was saying we uh, something about listening to God. And uh, it is about encountering him. But I think I used to think, yes, but how? And uh, I found that often God speaks my voice so that when I'm... If you dedicate yourself to God and quieten yourself down, actually often your thoughts are from God. You need to perhaps write them down and then test them later. But that's often God speaking to you. So if there are things today where you just felt a nudge of sort of, oh, that's interesting, or noting it, that could be God speaking to you and to pay attention to it. It's a great day, obviously, for us as a family that Zachary is baptised. And I was thinking of uh, Christians have three birthdays. So for Zachary, he's coming up to being three. So uh, three years ago, he was born. And that was an amazing day we celebrate, and he will celebrate all his life. But preceding it was life in the womb. And we don't think much about that, but we've all had it. We can't remember it. Indeed, for quite a bit of it, we probably didn't have a brain to remember it. But for some of it, we did have a brain. That's actually at 11 weeks so it's sort of fairly well formed even in 11 weeks. And I just think it's amazing. I once read a book when I was on tiptoe because it was written for lay people, but it was talking stuff. But it, it went through how the cells, because we've all got the same DNA, haven't we, in every cell of our body. It's which bits are switched on, which makes the difference of whether it, what it ends up as. And it went through how the spinal cord was made. And the cells in the centre have to be nerve, and the cells just outside it have to be fluid, and the cells outside that have to be bone, which is pretty different. And it's micro amounts in a, in a fetus. We're amazingly made, aren't we? It's extraordinary. And so lots happens in that time. And uh, some of the bits that are vital then are redundant. So the placenta you see, and the next slide shows a bit uh, clearer, uh, the, the placenta was vital for you. You would not have got anywhere without a placenta because that was the nourishment and the oxygenated blood, you know, everything came through this placenta. And all you have left of it is your belly button. 
But then there were bits that were developing in the womb which weren't needed then. So you think of the lungs. Isn't it amazing when a child is born, the moment when the, the first cry comes? Hearing's probably there. There was a funny story when, uh, when Lydia was pregnant with John. Um, when we did worship in church, he kicked. We were never sure whether that was shut it down or I enjoy worship. And uh, so it wasn't easy to interpret. But he could hear. But hearing gets a good bit better when you get outside the womb. Must be like having tinnitus, mustn't it? Having the, the, the sort of body noises of your mother. Um, and, you know, life is good in the womb. But actually, all sorts of things are switched on and off. They've discovered, didn't they? They did a study of people who were pregnant during a famine and how their children had also had their genes, some of their genes switched differently to cope with a poor environment, which is fine if you, you're going to grow up in a desert. But the research was done on people who uh, suffered during in Holland in 1940s. And they grew up to have all sorts of different diseases because their bodies weren't geared to have a, an abundance of food. So there's, there's intricacies of how we're switched on. And there are things that happen in the womb, therefore, which tune us for life. But then it all comes to birth. And we don't think much until you have a pregnancy, when you think a lot about it, don't you, of what happens in that stage. So he had the birth. And, of course, the, the birth process actually is supposed to be good for children, isn't it? But you'd think... You know, how do they survive it? How did, <laughs> how do parents survive it? How, but nonetheless, actually, they say, don't they, that going down the birth canal helps the future lungs. So we have an exit from that world and an entry to this world, which is sort of traumatic, but you're greeted with joy on the other side. And actually the pain fades in the joy of life. And I think that's a bit of a parable. So in our lives, it goes on, don't we, that we have a first birthday, and then we come into this world, and the next slide shows us in all sorts of conditions, doesn't it? Um, I'm getting towards the stick stage now, I suppose. And the, the visual had a nice phrase, didn't he? The springtime of his senility. Um, but as a child, there are really important things to learn. Indeed, Jesus said... Don't be childish, but be like a child. And it's funny, we find as grandparents, looking after one child is slightly easier than looking after two. Because although we have quite a range of toys, they all want the same one at the same time. And so they can fight. Three boys will be an education which we haven't yet received and we will, um, we're a bit daunted by. But when they, they, they fight, and actually, I often thought, it's funny how, isn't it? I think the best thing you can give to one child is another child. And there's something about good human development which has fairness and kindness from parents and unfairness and unkindness from siblings. And actually that helps knock some corners off and you end up a more rounded individual for having been beaten about a bit. But isn't it wonderful how kids get over it? So they may have been 
fighting one minute and then they sit down and eat a biscuit together and it's all fine, as long as there are two biscuits. Um, and actually that's something I think about the, the child bit. And I felt as I was preparing that, that might be relevant for some people because I think as adults we can hold on to things for a long time. And you can have all sorts of splits. And one of the things we've done, I do increasingly as we pray for people, is you can pray the blood of Jesus over people's um, wounds. Because we've all been wounded. But also over their reactions to those wounds, our reactions to those wounds. Because that often binds us even more, isn't it? And what you're doing, it's what Jesus did on the cross, wasn't he? He said, prayed forgiveness for them. Is that you're covering all that with Jesus' blood, which means you're not locked into it, which means you can change. And that allows you to, to re-see things in a different light or to understand the backstory as to why things felt like that or to just let it go. And, and God can set you free. So it's about a decision for us, but it sort of frees us. So we pray for that. But I think that might be significant uh, for some people. And of course, Zachary comes as a baby to Jesus. Uh, he might have come at different ages, but we're doing infant baptism here. So the focus on the baptism is on uh, the godparents and the parents, because they're the ones who are saying the promises, actually, on behalf of Zachary. And so they are saying it for themselves, and they will model it, they're saying. And then he can grow up in that atmosphere. And I said in the interview, I looked up and found my, I found it a few years ago, but uh, that was the invitation to a meeting at a fresher's address for London University in 1972, 3 to 4.30. And there's a guy I've never heard of before or since then, Mr. Leslie Leppard, but that was the day I became a Christian. Now, I may have become a Christian as a child. I remember once calling my father in when he was mowing the lawn and the light was going and him being grumpy and I said I wanted to invite Jesus into my heart and he then turned very happy that the lawn was left unmowed. But, um, so, I think I probably became a Christian earlier and then I certainly went away and then came back at university. But it may be a gradual process. Indeed, if uh, we're not rebellious... You have the faith of a one-year-old and the faith of a two-year-old and the faith of a three-year-old and it just seamlessly goes on. So you may never know a day. But for me, I think that's my second birthday. That's the day when I was changed. Now, on the surface outside, it doesn't seem much of a change. You're the same person. But actually, it is a very fundamental shift. And as I say, when I became a Christian, I was scared of talking in public. And if you told me I'd be a vicar, I would have laughed or cried. If I believed you, I'd have cried, but I, you know, I'd have laughed. No idea. But I did. I remember it's almost like a market store when you say, um, if you, God's selling eternal life, and you say, how much is it? And he says, well, what have you got? And you sort of empty everything, and you give him all your stuff, and then you give him yourself, and then he says, fine, that's eternal life. So everything, you have it all back, but it's mine. And then I was teaching and enjoying it. And, and I kept on getting asked, you know, what about thinking about being a vicar? And you think, no. And then one day I thought, actually, I've got to look at it. I can't just ignore it. And I looked, and as I say, when I went to the selection conference, I gave all the reasons why I shouldn't. 
but that was obedience. Now, I can remember drawing up a list of pros and cons, and it wasn't on the pro side. But if you say God's the boss, that actually is a, is a, a more minor issue than you may think it is. Now, I think if I'd stayed in teaching, I'd have gone to seed, and I, it's been the best thing. Partly because God helps you as you go through it, because otherwise you'd be stuffed. But um, So we've got a ministry that God wants for us, and we're praying that Zachary and Barney and everyone will give their lives to God and then work out what he wants them to do. Because God, it's a bit like an orchestra. God's got plans for us, and... You know, some people, they talk, don't they, politicians have a legacy. Well, we've each got an individual legacy. And you may get, you can go in the wrong direction, but it's it ultimately doesn't have fruit that lasts, like doing what God wants you to do. So in this life, in all the different stages, we have that opportunity, and God wants us to, well, God first of all wants to make us well. So a lot of Jesus' ministry was about healing, Uh, dealing with people's demons um, and calling them to follow him. Uh, Sometimes at a baptism, I've used the bit in the beginning of John's Gospel where Peter and Andrew are told by John the Baptist to go and follow Jesus. So they troops along and follow Jesus. And uh, as they're following Jesus, uh, Jesus turns around and says, what do you want? And they sort of, I think they were probably a bit rabbit in the headlights. And they said, uh, you know, and so he said, well, come and see. And it was about following. But he turned around and said to Peter, you, Simon, it was his name, are going to be called Peter, rock man. Now, it was 18 months later when Jesus turned to Peter again and said, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And that's when Jesus, Peter said, Jesus, you're the son of the living God and the Christ. He said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. So Peter Peter was given his name by God. And then 18 months later, or some period later, he had to answer what Jesus' name was. And so we're praying that Zachary has had his Zachary Alexander name today. There will be a time later when he'll have to say, who is Jesus to me? And that's an individual question along the road. But God wants us well. He wants us to partner with him. So if you go right back to creation, the job of humankind was to look after the earth and help it come into order. Um, and still the same. Now we've done a, Christians have done a bad job, let alone the world. So there's lots to learn and grow in how we do it. I've been on a diet recently and, um, one of the things I've reflected on, I'm trying to move away from sugar. And actually, the diet says you can have fat, but not sugar. And I've reflected that the slave trade resulted in us eating too much sugar, which isn't good for our health, which I hadn't thought about before. So it wasn't awful for just for the people, but it was awful for the winners. That it sort of sent us off askew. So doing things God's way in God's time. But... I'd love to say that God wants you well and that's all about it, but actually sometimes when you're doing God's thing, it's hard. And Paul in this letter to Corinthians is sort of saying, if the resurrection's not true, 
then we're still in our sins, by which he means that the, the, the cross hasn't worked, i.e. if Jesus just died he, and he was just a good man, well then he was a wonderful example, but no more. The fact that he's God and that he died and rose says that the sin of the world is dealt with, all the things that's gone wrong, all the pain. And that is what Christians believe and that's what's happened and that's why there's a lot of evidence for the resurrection and they believed it. And he's now saying, if it's not true, because Paul's life was hard and if you follow Jesus in a persecuted country, in a country where Christians are persecuted, it will be hard. And he's not saying that's not what you're called for. I've supported one or two whistleblowers in my time and they're never treated well. Even if the firm learns from it, it's a very sacrificial task. And if you get involved with that, you need someone who will sit with you because they will never admit they're wrong. They shoot the messengers, even if they get the message. So if God calls you to be someone who's going to stand up, it's costly, really costly. And that's not what isn't in the contract. (laughs) When God calls us to. And I think that's a word for some people today. Because there may be things where God's calling you to, which you're thinking, "Mm, I don't want to do. Because it's easy to settle down, isn't it? And God will bless you. We've had a, a privileged life in so many ways. But there are times when he calls you to stand up. So my third birthday is going to be when I peg it and die. Now, a bit like going from the womb to this life, this side of it is not nice. Or if it's instant for you, it's not nice for those around you. But the other side of it is glory. So we, and and in this passage a bit, another place it says, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. What is sown is mortal, is raised immortal. What is sown physical, is raised spiritual. What is sown in dishonour, is raised in glory. And I've often thought about that, because I think of my mum. You know, dying was hard. And, you know, just difficult. What is sown in dishonour, it's not a very glorious way to go is raised in glory. And I think we need to focus on that much more because we often say rest in peace, but the response to rest in peace is rise in glory. And heaven is going to be wonderful. There's work to do. Now, we can't imagine it properly. There are pictures, banquet. It's saying, uh, Paul says in Corinthians, doesn't it, you, you sort out your disputes without going to judges. Goodness, if you're Christians, you're going to be ruling in heaven. There's work to do. You won't be sitting on a damp, fluffy cloud. I think in the 18th century, women who'd had 18 kids thought heaven would be sitting on a damp, fluffy cloud. But it's not. It's life. Now, I think there are signs in this life that point to the life to come. Why is it we think that this life shouldn't be as it is? 
why do you think that life, you know, work is trouble? And we think that's because of the fall rather than it being good. Why are relationships difficult? Why is birth painful? Why do we think those things aren't as it should be? It's a little sign. But actually that's not how it's designed to be. It's where we are, but it's not how it's designed to be. We're de- we feel it's right that we should be at peace. But you know that hurt people hurt people and trouble beats trouble. So why do we think we can make progress and, and get to peace? And it's because God has put that desire in our hearts. Why do you so struggle when people die? Because we've got eternity in our hearts. I once did a funeral for a wonderful 94-year-old who'd been introduced to pop concerts and camping in her 80s by her grandchildren. There's another aspect of it. And uh, she lived life, and they were gutted. And all the stuff about you've had a good life, it's been fulfilling, you've got a wonderful family, none of that counts, does it, in the real things? All of those true. Because she wanted more. And they wanted more of her. That's the hope that's put within us, which we have through Jesus. So there's a whole reorientation, isn't it, to what heaven is like. And there are bits of us, I think, which are to come alive in this life. So we have eternal life now if we become Christian. But we don't yet see what we will be. And I'm getting to the stage when I look forward to a heavenly body which doesn't sort of creak as much. But looking forward, isn't it, to being in harmony with yourself and with each other. Now that starts to happen, interestingly, at old age, isn't it? You start to get integrated. And often people make peace with things in old age. So there are signs of that. So that's the process, if you like. But Paul is saying here, isn't he, that in this part of 1 Corinthians 15, because it's a set in a bigger chunk, uh, God is for you, God wants to heal you, God wants to bless you, but if he blesses you with a calling, which will be difficult, he wants to help, you know, to make you healthy so you can give your life in service. So you're to listen to God to enjoy him and do what he says, even if that's hard. So I want us to have time till we can encounter God for us and say to God, what is that? And I, I wondered before I came, the one thing on this, being a child and laying aside the divisions and asking God to cover those with his blood and the reactions to those so that we can, as much as it lies within ourselves, live at peace with all. We can't sort out the other person, but we can. So God has sorted out his side and there's no problem with us coming to God. The judge wig is laid aside. We may have a problem getting to him. And then there are people who may not yet know Christ who want to start off by being honest. You know, ask if God exists or that God will come to you but that I'll listen and I'll be attentive. And then thirdly, this one of not being so rooted in this life, we don't have us a sure and certain hope. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He wouldn't have, you know, that was the motivation. So the joy set before us to press on through. So let's stand and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to come and we'll see what he does.
So come, Holy Spirit, and we ask for you to apply your word to our hearts. And we thank you, you have an individual word for each of us.